Father, we thank you so much this morning. We thank you for the beauty of your grace. We thank you, Father, that your grace is so great. Great grace, beautiful grace. We thank you, Father, that that grace is not just been made available to save us, but that grace has been made available for us to live our lives through grace. Grace is not just something that flows into us, but grace should be something that flows from us as well. And I believe there's a correlation, there's a relationship with that which comes in will be that which goes out. I thank you, Father, that you've called me to be a medic for the soul, to speak into people's emotions and into their hearts and into their minds. We thank you, Father, that in Christ we have everything we need. We don't need to look anywhere else. In Christ we have all sufficiency. We have the fullness of God living on the inside of us. How beautiful is that? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are just a few days in front of Christmas. It is the season where there are more gifts, more presents that are unwrapped than any other time of the year. And if you're anything like me, over the years, there have been times where I've spent many hours, <laughs> many days, if you will, perusing flyers and catalogs, walking through brick and mortar stores, searching for the perfect gift, right? We don't want to just give a gift. We want to give the perfect gift, if you will. And I don't know how many times I've ended up frustrated because I've went row by row, shelf by shelf, rack by rack, and I said, I'm going to look at everything in the store in search for the perfect gift, and surely a store with this much merchandise, <laughs> I'm going to come across it. I spend hours doing that, and I go, man, I leave kind of feeling a little bit empty. I just couldn't find that perfect gift. So I've gotten smarter over the years. I just say to my wife, honey, make out a list of things that you would like for Christmas. And I pretty much stick to that list. I know it's uh, less of an element of surprise as she opens the gift, but she's very good about this. She acts very surprised that she got the stuff that was on her list. <laughs> it's on Valerie's list. I'm telling you, five or 10 minutes on Amazon.com when she gives you the actual number that you can go to and everything, it's <laughs> over with, friends. I love shopping like this. It's my favorite pastime, if you will. <laughs> And then I let her do all the shopping for everybody else. You see how that works? Amen. Unwrapping presents is very exciting for the majority of people. Why? Because we love presents. But did you know that for many people, and when I say many, I'm talking about multitudes, millions of people, receiving and opening a gift can be a very stressful time for them. Perhaps it reminds them of a loved one that is no longer here. Or maybe it reminds them of a tradition that always took place in their family and somehow with the expansion of families and people kind of go in their own direction, you've gotten away from that tradition. You've gotten away from that thing that you did every Christmas. Or maybe you just don't feel worthy you just don't feel worthy of a present. And so it makes it stressful for people when they don't feel worthy. And then how about those times when 
Someone gives you a present and now you feel uncomfortable because now there's this pressure that, oh, now I got to give you something. We do that with cards. We do that with presents. There was a time in my own life when the receiving and opening of gifts made me feel extremely awkward. Even doing something as simple as saying thank you for a gift, I mean, I felt as about as graceful as Bambi on ice. I'm not kidding you. I just, just could never seem to find the right words. Too few, too many. Would you like to know why I felt that way? It was because I had put myself under the pressure of performance. You see, I knew even before the mystery of what's inside the box, what's under the wrapper was revealed, that there was going to come a point in time, I had to act surprised. I had to act excited. Because there's an expectation when you open a gift that you're supposed to be surprised. Even on those occasions when you're not so surprised, and in our family, we just go, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> it's really a nice gift, thank you. I learned that one from Valerie. <laughs> I did, actually. We do that because, after all, we don't want to disappoint the one who gave us the gift, right? You see, in my childhood, growing up, it was a very unstable childhood. I'm a work of God's grace in many ways. A very unstable childhood. If you've had stability and love and nurture in your home, praise God. I thank God for that. It was not so much the case with us. I mean, there were shining moments, but this was not our norm. And so somehow in a very early childhood, I developed low self-esteem. Now, I wouldn't have known what that word even meant when I was a young boy. I knew I had it. Shyness is a manifestation of low self-esteem and awkwardness. Therefore, I disliked opening gifts, and this carried over even into my adult years. I'm 20, 25, 30, 32, 34, 35, and I still didn't like opening gifts in front of people because I knew everybody's eyes and everybody's ears are drawn to me. I could feel that pressure beginning to burn on the inside of me. I want to show you a picture of me when I was five years old, the year 1966. Do you notice anything unusual about my kindergarten school picture? Do you notice anything unusual about that picture? Jim, thank you. You saw it, didn't you? Amen. Yes, I'm wearing a winter coat. My self-worth or my self-esteem was so low that I wanted to wear my brand new coat as a security blanket. I remember fighting with the teacher. She said, you've got to take your coat off for your picture. I said, no, I want my coat on. I thought my outer coat made me feel more acceptable because it was a pretty coat. Look it. It is kind of a cute little coat, isn't it? It's got two colors in it. It's got that V for Valerie on it. I love that. Prophesying. Amen. Smiling at her. Amen. Friends, millions of believers fall for the same lie that their outer coat of performance makes them prettier and more acceptable in the eyes of the Lord 
maybe coursing their way all through life, never realizing that they've already been made acceptable in the beloved because they have been clothed with righteousness. You are clothed with a garment, a robe, a coat, whatever you want to call it, of righteousness. And it looks much better than this coat. This is a temporary coat. Righteousness is an eternal coat. And the Father has lavished righteousness on us by grace through faith. I was a darling of a little boy, but it didn't feel that way on the inside of me. How about when we give a gift? Is there a similar pressure that builds on the inside of you? Is there an inner hope that your gift is going to really be the home run gift. It's going to be the gift that's the perfect gift. You're going to get plenty of oohs and ahs and people cooing over that gift. Will it be the perfect gift? We don't know until we see the response, but we hope deep inside that they appreciate our gift and that our gift is received with thanksgiving and our heart is kind of pounding faster. I guarantee it. If there was a way for you to measure that when someone is opening your gift, I guarantee your heart would be beating a few beats faster because we want to please people. We want innately to give perfect gifts. And then what about all of those thank yous? Trying to find just the right number of words that appropriately and adequately express and equal the value of the gift. See, that's a trap we can fall in. That we've got to find certain words, adequate amount of words, as we assess what this gift is worth to express our thanks. Do you know when Jesus fed the multitude, the 5,000 men plus women and children, all he did was lift up the fish, two fish, five loaves. And he said, thank you, Father. That was it. Gotta be more fanfare than that. He knows his father's about to do something miraculous. Yet he wasn't dancing in place. Go watch what my daddy's gonna do. Oh, you guys are gonna just be so blown away. No, he just said, thank you, father. And I don't believe he even screamed. I think he just probably said, thank you, father. Thank you for what you're gonna do. Isn't that amazing? When a gift is more valuable, the more fanfare and hoopla is expected from us. I mean, come on. Can you imagine giving someone a brand new car and all they say is, thanks? No! You'd think, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be jumping up and down with excitement. You're supposed to be running in circles. Oh, you're supposed to be screaming and crying and hugging me and kissing me, and thanking me a million times over. Such silliness. This morning, I want to minister for a little while through a message I'm calling the perfect gift. I'm referring to the gift that is, come on, one size fits all. That gift. That's a perfect gift. The gift that we didn't go looking for, but came searching for us. The perfect gift that comes from above, given from the Father, and is full of grace and truth. The gift that comes with a 
I bet you'll like this one. A strict no return policy. And it's guaranteed forever. What a gift. I'm talking about the gift that was given to us to establish our connection with the Father. The gift that I'm referring to, friends, is Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God and the perfect gift. The gift that was wrapped at the cradle and then unwrapped at the cross. That gift, that perfect gift. In James chapter 1, Verses 17 and 18, we find these words. James said, every good and perfect gift is from above. Meditate, please, on those words for just a moment. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, he's not going to stop giving good gifts and perfect gifts. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. This morning we give good gifts. This afternoon we give bad gifts. No, he doesn't do that, friends. He gives good gifts all day long. Never stops. Good and perfect gifts. Coming down from the Father of heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. He, ah, oh, I love this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The Father doesn't give us bad gifts or imperfect gifts, does He? No. He doesn't give us gifts that rust can eat up or that moths can destroy. He doesn't give us gifts that thieves can break in and steal from us. He gave us His best gift when He gave us Jesus, His Son. To give us a salvation that could be lost would be like giving someone counterfeit money at Christmas or as a gift. Think about that for a second. Counterfeit money. It initially appears to have been a good gift and great value, but in reality, it's worthless. Nothing more than an empty victory. Friends, our salvation is not counterfeit, but rather genuine, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This salvation that I'm talking about establishes our connection. It's like an umbilical cord, like a spiritual umbilical cord with the Father. It establishes our connection with Papa, and it can never be severed. Nothing can cut that cord. The word of truth that James wrote about in that scripture there was his oldest brother, Jesus Christ. How many of you know James, the author here, is one of Jesus's younger brothers? And James declared that our birth was through the word of truth. That's what he said. It comes through the word of truth. The word of truth that he's talking about is Jesus. Jesus is the word of truth. He is both the word and he is the truth, the perfect gift coming down from the Father, heavenly lights. And he came to us to give us birth into a living hope. Every single one of you have been born again into a living hope. But it's through the revelation that the Father's gifts are good. It's through the revelation that He doesn't give bad gifts, but He only gives perfect gifts. It's through that revelation that we are able to shed our outer coat of acceptance and performance. Friends, my dime store kindergarten coat added nothing to my inner beauty. An inner beauty that comes by grace and truth through the Father of heavenly lights, namely Jesus Christ. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we see these words. Peter said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, praise Him. Praise Him, all you nations. Praise Him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, In His great mercy, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Is that good news? Come on, that's good news. Not just at Christmas, that's good news any time of the year. Unpack that one every single day. Take the bow off that one every single day that he's given us an inheritance, a new birth into a living hope, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And he says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you so you don't tear it up. <laughs> he, he keeps this in heaven for you, friends, in this perfect atmosphere. He said, this is stored in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So what are these scriptures telling us? They're telling us that God Number one, showed great mercy. Do you see how it opens there? He said, God in his great mercy, not through the cradle alone, but through the cross. And not through the cross alone, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you notice these scriptures don't talk about he gave us hope through the birth of Christ. It doesn't even say he gave us hope through the death of Christ. It says we have this hope because of the resurrection of Christ. You say, Pastor Mark, wait a minute. Is it Easter time? <laughs> it is in my heart. So it's by grace through faith that we have been saved. And this is how we get this living hope. But it's faith in, yes, his birth. Yes, in his death. Yes, in his burial. You've got to have faith in his resurrection. You can't be saved. You wouldn't want to be saved if you didn't believe in a resurrected Christ. It's through Jesus that we encounter, we embrace, we understand this perfect gift. The cradle without the cross and the resurrection would have left us walking the aisles, pillaging the shelves, and ravaging the racks. The cradle without the cross and the resurrection, like that little five-year-old boy, would have kept the coat of performance, kept the security blanket on me. The cradle without the cross and the resurrection would have left us with gifts that perish, spoil, and fade. The cradle without the cross and the resurrection would have left us with a counterfeit gospel and salvation. But James wrote that every good and perfect gift is from above. He said, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Friends, God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, what? Full of heavenly light, full of the word, full of grace and truth. And it's out of his fullness that we have all received grace, the Bible says, in place of grace already given. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a perfect gift to me. That sounds like a really good gift. That sounds like a perfect gift. What can I do to add to that gift? How can I improve a gift like that? I can't. But James wrote that every perfect gift is from God. 
And when he wrote that, every perfect gift is from God, coming down from the Father of heaven lights, he was essentially calling Jesus good and perfect. How? How would you say that? Because Jesus came down from the Father of heavenly lights. And remember, the Father only gives good and perfect gifts. Now, the word that James used when he said perfect, that word is used for God. That word is used for Jesus. You can use that word for you, friends. Scriptures tell us we were made perfect in Christ. But this word perfect comes from the Greek word teleos. <laughs> teleos means perfect. So James wrote and he said, every good and teleos, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. Look at what the word teleos means. Boy, you talk about redundant. Look at this. Brought to its end. And then it would say finished. Wanting nothing necessary to completeness. That sounds like brought to the end. That sounds like finished. Perfect. That which is perfect. Now, let me ask you some questions. Did Jesus ever cry? Yes. Jesus wept when he wept over Jerusalem. He shed tears. Jesus cried. He wept when he stood out in front of Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus would have wept as a newborn baby. You say the perfect gift of God crying? Friends, he was not only perfectly God, but he was perfectly man. Perfectly human. Did Jesus ever wet his little diaper? Come on. <laughs> of course he did. Yes, he did. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Mark? <laughs> because he was a man. He had to have. You can't take in milk and not get rid of it. So yes, he did. Did Jesus ever fall down while learning to walk? Did Jesus ever mispronounce words when he was learning to talk? Yes, of course, that would have happened. But he was still the perfect gift. That did not make him imperfect. That's why the scriptures would say he was growing, growing in wisdom. They said this about him when he was 12 years old, when he was found in the temple, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He was growing. Let me ask us the same questions. Do we ever cry? Oh yeah, we cry, don't we? Do we ever make a mess in our own little diapers? Come on. Absolutely. We do. Do we fall down occasionally? And do we ever say some things that were not just exactly right? The answer is yes, yes, and more yes. We do that. Do you and I occasionally cover ourselves with an outer coat of performance? Yes. Do we give less than perfect gifts at times? Yes. Have we ever fallen for a counterfeit gospel, a gospel that really is no gospel at all? Friends, I'm going to tell you something. I spent the majority of my Christian life there. Yes, I knew Jesus saved me by his grace, but then I was told I needed to go to work and work for him, and I was told that I could lose this gift that he had given me. That's a counterfeit gospel. You cannot lose this precious gift that he's given you. Remember, how do you know, Mark? Because every good and perfect gift is from the Father of heavenly lights. It comes down from him, and he does not change. In other words, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change what he's done, how he's radically transformed us. He doesn't go, I'm going to untransform you now. Because you're falling down too much. Because you're talking too much. Because you're wetting your diaper too much. 
because you cry like a crybaby too much. Oh, man. Can you imagine the Father? All the stuff that He hears us doing and saying and praying. Yet He loves us with an everlasting love. What a great love this Father has for us. Are we drawn more to the fascination of the cradle or the cross or the Christ? I think the cradle was awesome. I think the cross was amazing. But I think Christ is everything, friends. We all make these mistakes. Yet the gift of righteousness continues to whisper into our hearts, you are perfect. <laughs> When's the last time you heard that? Well, I'll tell you when the last time you heard that was just a second ago when I said it. You are perfect in him. Do you ever catch yourself saying, oh, I'm just such a dummy. I'm such an idiot. Whatever you want to say, whatever adjective you want to use to describe yourself, you stop and say, no, that is not who I am. <laughs> you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am perfect in my Savior. How do you know? I'm going to sound like a broken record. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly light. Yes. Jesus is that heavenly light that came down from the Father. That good gift, that perfect gift that came not to only live in a cradle, but to live in the cradle of our hearts. Beautiful. Friends, our salvation is a good and perfect gift that was given to us through Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice and is the very gift that makes us perfect. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Take a look at this verse. Look at what it says. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He used the same word that James used. When James said, every good and perfect gift you see, when James used it, he used the word as an adjective to draw attention to the gift, to show you how valuable the gift is. That's what adjectives do. They build up the noun. They bring attention to the noun. But when the writer of Hebrews used it, he used it in a way to show us that it is a finished work. You have been made perfect. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the old adage? That means, have you ever heard of the old saying, okay? That practice makes perfect. You ever said that yourself? Sure you have. You know you've said that before. Friends, don't fall for that big fat lie. It's a kindergarten coat on your school picture, and it will put you under performance. Practice can only make better. Practice never makes perfect. Perfect makes perfect. <laughs> Did you catch that? If you practice something, you're going to get better at it. I guarantee it. You might become great at it, but practice never made anything perfect or anyone perfect. It takes perfect to make perfect. You can't get two elephants together and have a giraffe, can you? No, perfect makes perfect. Perfect made us perfect. And by Jesus' perfect life and by Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross and by Jesus's perfect righteousness and by Jesus's perfect obedience and by Jesus's perfect faith and by Jesus's perfect grace. He has made perfect forever those that are being made holy according to that scripture. Our ability to 
make ourselves more perfect, or we would call it holy, through anything we do is as unstable and clumsy as Bambi on ice. It really is. Friends, no one can turn a counterfeit dollar into a real dollar. Did you know that? You can pass it off, but you can't turn a counterfeit dollar into a real dollar. It has to be made over again. Now, Michelle works in the banking industry, so she could tell you that's true. That dollar would have to be made over again. And only the Father of heavenly lights has the power to do this makeover in us again, this new creation thing over again in us. It's referred to as the crucified Christ. When we were crucified with Christ, you know what? We were made over again. We're not the same person that we used to be. We were imperfect in our spirit, and suddenly we've been made brand new. We are perfect now in our spirit. And through his crucifixion, we were made the righteousness of God in Christ. He looked at that counterfeit person that we were, sometimes all religious and pious. And he says, son, I want to come and live in your heart. I'm going to make you all over again. It's not going to be, we're just going to make room for the counterfeit you. No, the counterfeit you has to die. And we were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. That scripture says, and by his one sacrifice, please, not two sacrifices, not three, not many, not annual sacrifices, by his one sacrifice, we were made perfect. Does it say that? It says that. The word perfect, again, that we are looking at right now from the writer of Hebrews is used to basically describe our standing in Christ. This is our holiness. This is our righteousness. And again, it's the same Greek word that James used when he wrote that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heaven and lights. Did you notice that James described God as the Father of heavenly lights? In other words, he gave birth to it. Everything came from him. What a powerful God. He's the Father of heavenly lights. I mean, if I said I'm the father of that chair, you'd say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, if I made it, I suppose in my workshop, I could say it originated with me. It started in my mind and I created it. God is the father of heavenly lights. And Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Just like his daddy. Father of heavenly lights. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But did you know he took it a step further? He said, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before all men. You're the light of the world too. Now, friends, look, there's a sun that gives light. There's the stars that give light. The moon casts the light from the sun. Different sources of light. But in God's kingdom, there's one source of light. God is the Father of heavenly lights. Jesus is the brightness of his glory. And that same light is the light that lives in us. There are not two different lights. There are not multiple lights. There is one light. It's the Father of lights living on the inside of us. So beautiful. It sounds like the perfect has made us perfect. People 
have been walking in darkness only because they refuse to come to the light of the world. That's the only reason, friends. They refuse to come to the light of the world, which is Jesus. I'm talking about the light that the Father of good and perfect gifts sent to us on Christmas. The Apostle John would say these words. He would say, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Then he would say, but men love darkness more than they love the light. You want to know why? He tells us, he said, because their deeds are evil. It gives them low self-esteem. It puts them under pressure. We don't like light when we're in the dark. I mean, just try to get some sleep one time. Let somebody come in, turn on bright light over you. You'll, you'll start yelling at them. Turn that light off. Turn that light off. We don't like light when we're in the darkness. But friends, we're no longer in darkness. We're in the light. The light of Christ. The hope of glory. I don't know what your story is, but I can tell you mine. And that is on August 7th of 1995, I said, so long to darkness and hello to light. I did. That night I said good riddance to the imperfect and hello perfect. I knew I was a new creation in Christ. I took a drink of living water and a loaf of Christmas bread. And I gave thanks. And I drifted off to sweet, sweet rest. I had never had so much rest and so much peace in all of my life. And although it would take me many, many years to shed my kindergarten coat, I was still his. You know, the scriptures tell us his seed remains. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what you've thought. The scriptures say his seed remains on the inside of us. Doesn't matter what you believe, it will affect you here, yes, but his seed remains. You see, the father was waiting for the perfect time for the perfect gift of grace to come along and convince my heart that he truly is one size fits all. Not just all the people, but all of my wrong-headed ways and mindsets, all of my missteps in life, all of my sins. He was greater than all of that. It would take years for me to come to the revelation that the Father of Lights had given me an inheritance that could never perish, spoil, or fade. I didn't have that for a lot of years, friends. How do I have it now? I have that because the scripture says it's kept in heaven for me, shielded by God's power. Friends, let me tell you something. When Valerie and I first came into the revelation of the finished work of grace, there was a hint of disappointment. Just a hint of disappointment that we had not seen that earlier in all the years that we had been saved, all the years that we had been teaching and ministering. We felt like we had to do everything all over again. We felt like we had to start fresh in, in terms of how you pray and how you uh, minister and just everything, how you relate with the Father. So there was a hint of disappointment. But after I discovered that all my practice had not made me perfect, but rather his perfectness made me perfect, it was an absolute relief. You know why? Because if my perfectness makes me perfect, then I have to maintain it. And then I have to keep doing whatever I'm doing to make me perfect. No, it was his perfectness that made me perfect. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, we find these words. Talk about darkness, here it comes. The people that walked in darkness, talking about those Israelites, the people that walked in darkness 
have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Isn't the Father of heavenly lights good? You see, he doesn't leave us in our darkness. He lights the way out. Now, our government may leave us in darkness. And our religious indoctrinations may leave us in darkness for a while. But the Father of heavenly lights illuminates our hearts so that we might see his Son, the perfect Prince of Peace. Continuing in Isaiah, stepping up to verses 6 and 7, we find these words. He says, For unto us a child is born. Isaiah's many years before Christ. And so he's looking into the heavenlies. Where else would he see this? He's looking into the spirit realm. And he says, For unto us a child is born. Now, if he ended it there, it could be anybody's child. But then he keeps going. He says, Unto us a son is given. Oh, that sounded more like Jesus now, isn't it? Child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And it says, of the increase of his government, Friends, let's pause here for a second. What does the government in this new covenant operate by? It's by grace. And it says, for the increase of his government. It could easily just say, for the increase of his grace. For the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. When we come to the revelation that the government is upon his shoulders and not ours, you know what the result is? <laughs> Wonderful, mighty, everlasting, and peace without end. When you come to that revelation, then all of a sudden you can go, oh, hey, wonderful, mighty, everlasting, not here one moment and gone the next, and peace without end. The government is upon Jesus' shoulders. Friends, my outer code of performance ended when I came into the revelation that everything in the Father's kingdom comes as a gift by grace. Not just a gift, but the perfect gift. Jesus is the perfect gift. The scriptures tell us for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What kind of gifts does God give? Come on. Good gifts, right? What kind of gifts does God give? Perfect gifts. What kind of gifts does God give? Everlasting gifts. Gifts that are full of grace. Gifts that are full of peace. Gifts without end. He just keeps giving. He's already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, everything we need. When John penned the Gospel of John, he left out the narrative of the birth of Christ. No fanfare, no magi, no baby pictures. He's a grown man. That's the way John wanted to introduce him. 
In fact, his first words were, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, talking about Christ, the light of the world. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I heard someone say that earlier. Friends, it's not his fault if we don't understand It's our refusal to come to the light. He's already sent the brightest light of all creation, brighter than all the heavenlies. But because the Apostle John didn't pen about the birth of Christ, that doesn't mean that John didn't unwrap the perfect gift that was given to the world. John would present Jesus as the Word made flesh, who dwelled among us. Friends, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you something that you probably have never known, but no baby remains a baby forever, okay? (laughs) They grow. In fact, they grow way too fast, don't they? Too fast for their own little diapers, I'm telling you. With every beat of the clock, our little babies are growing. But Jesus remains the Word forever. Jesus remains the Son forever Jesus remains our high priest forever. Jesus remains the mighty God forever, the wonderful counselor and the prince of peace. Jesus remains the gift of God forever. And Jesus remains the fullness of grace and truth forever. Isn't this great hope that we have that all of who Jesus is All of his perfection, perfect, making perfect, living on the inside of us. Beautiful. In John chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, we find these words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. How could you overlook it? The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Look at those words. Full of grace and truth. Did it say half full? Did it say partially full? Did it say almost full? Friends, he's not like a gas tank that as you move and keep moving along, you're going one way and the the needle's going the other. No, he's full of grace and truth and he remains full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now look at the next words. It says, out of his fullness, out of his perfection, out of his loveliness, out of his beauty, out of his holiness, out of everything that he is. It says, out of his fullness. It's all inside of that. It says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. In other words, grace isn't just something you get up front and you never get again. He says, I'm going to give you grace when I've already given you grace. And when you need more grace, grace has always been made available to you. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And then he ends it by saying, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why would he have to put that in there? Because he's trying to get our hearts and our minds and our attentions away from wearing the coats of performance, the law. 
He just got through telling you, out of his fullness, you have everything you need. Everything is yours. But you've got to let go of this law. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. I can tell you without equivocation that it's impossible for you to give me a gift, whether it be large or small, that would make me feel uncomfortable or make me feel like I'm too unworthy to open it, to receive it. I guarantee it. You can't do it. Whether it comes from a dime store or a diamond store, it doesn't matter. (laughs) My response is, thank you. I receive it with grace. I wasn't always like that. Remember, I told you, I used to be very, very uncomfortable. And I get the feeling if there's not somebody in this room, there's somebody that's going to be listening under the sound of my voice going to say, Pastor Mark, I, I can identify with you. I feel uncomfortable when I'm in the spotlight too opening gifts. It's okay. He's doing a work in your heart. He's doing a gracious work in your heart. When you see that everything operates by grace, you suddenly don't have to worry about, am I worthy enough to receive this? He's made me perfect, perfect, made perfect. This is what the perfect gift of God's grace does to us. This is what it's done on the inside of me. Transformation. The first mention of gifts in the New Testament referred to the gifts that the Magi gave to the toddler Jesus. No, not the baby Jesus in the manger, but about two years later when they came to the home. That's the first time gifts are mentioned in the New Testament. It's the gifts that were given to Christ. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And when they, who's they? It's the Magi. And when they were come into the house, not the manger, we're talking a couple years later, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want to ask you a question. Do you think for even a moment that the gifts that the Magi gave to Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, do you think they were just random gifts? Or did they foretell a greater story? Please make note of the order, because God is a God of order. He didn't say myrrh and gold and frankincense. He said gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God is a God of order. Please make note of the gifts mentioned, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi gave gold. Gold was for kings, friends. The common man did not possess such a rare treasure. It was difficult to find. How many of you know that pure gold, 24 karat gold, never perishes, never spoils, and never fades? Cheaper gold mixed with other alloys, it can. But pure gold never perishes, never spoils, never fades. This is the first gift that they presented to our king. Jesus is our king, the rare treasure for humanity, the one who never perishes, spoils, or fades. The next gift that the Magi gave was frankincense. The Magi gave the gift of frankincense. Now think about this for a second. Frankincense was used by the high priest as he burned incense in the temple 
on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the annual feast, the yearly feast that was instituted by God under the Old Covenant to completely cover, not take away sin, but to cover, pay the penalty in a sense for all the sins that the people, the Israelites, the Jews had committed. But when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, the Jewish people could no longer present the required sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. Does this sound a little familiar based on where we just came from? Hebrews speaks of a final priest, a final high priest, and that is Christ. And then the scriptures immediately declare that through that one sacrifice, not the annual sacrifices, but through that one sacrifice, he's made everything perfect. Our high priest Jesus has made everything perfect for those who are being made holy. So the Magi brought gold, the Magi brought frankincense, and the Magi brought myrrh. Myrrh was used for a variety of purposes in biblical times. It was used for perfume, and I probably believe it still is today. It was used as an anesthetic, and it was used for anointing oil. That's why we anoint sometimes with frankincense and myrrh. But myrrh was used also for embalming the dead. I found it interesting as I thumbed through my Bible last night to find that the last time the word myrrh is used in the Bible is found in the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We see these words in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 40. Look at these words. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. In other words, Pilate gave him permission. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus, literally off of the cross. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. What did Nicodemus have in his hands with him? He had myrrh. He had aloe and myrrh. It says he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes. And this will be the last time you see this word in the Bible. He said about a hundred pounds. He didn't spare anything, friends. I mean, come on, with perfume, a little dab do you, right? Behind the ear there a little bit, a couple here and there, a little spray or something. He brings a hundred pounds. Does this show you how extravagantly Jesus touched his life the night he came to him in John chapter 3? Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen strips with the spices as the manner of of the Jews is to bury. In other words, this was their custom. So let me ask the question, what are the Magi foretelling? What is their message with gold and frankincense and myrrh? I don't know if they even know what they're doing, but to us who can look back now and see the message in this, they are declaring that a rare king, a rare king, that's the gold, has come to take away our sins. Frankincense, not just on the day of atonement, but once for all. He has come to take away our sins through his death, wrapped by the myrrh and aloes. A king has come to take away our sins through his death. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The good and perfect gift that had come down from the Father of heavenly lights had been wrapped 
in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And 33 and a half years later, this same gift would be unwrapped as they cast lots for his garments. Jesus would hang naked on the cross. Jesus would hang unashamed. Jesus would hang unwrapped on the cross. It was there that our spotless Lamb of God, our Savior of the world, would release those last words, those famous words, it is finished! Come on! And those words crawled up in my heart several years ago, and I love those words. He said, it is finished! Now, the word finished that Jesus used there is from the same family of words that James used when he said perfect gift. The writer of Hebrews says, for by one sacrifice, he has already made perfect. It's the same word. So awesome when you look at how the scripture is connected that a finished, perfect, complete gift would come down out of heaven and he would come and die on an old rugged cross. And he would wait till the end and say, it is finished. What was he doing? He was pointing back even to what James said when he said every good and perfect gift is from the Father of heavenly lights. When the reverberation of Jesus' words, it is finished, quit echoing through the rocky cliffs there. Jesus hung lifeless on the cross. I want you to see these last scriptures of mine. John 19, verses 31 through 34. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the body's taken down. All the breaking of legs would do was hasten death. That's all it would do. You would suffocate. So if they didn't want to spend all day waiting for you to just die slowly, they would just break your legs and you would literally just suffocate very quickly. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. And then those of the other. Now look at this butt. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was all ready dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Why would you do that to a dead man? What was your point? That just shows you how dark people can be. I have ministered from those scriptures in times past. I don't know as though I can add anything to those scriptures that I haven't already said. And so as I was thinking about those late last night, I thought I was put back in remembrance that when God decided to make a bride for Adam, he didn't just form the bride out of the dust of the ground like he did Adam. The scriptures say that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, a deep sleep. And while Adam was sleeping, the father of heavenly lights 
pulled Adam's bride from his side. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? The scriptures even say he opened the flesh. He opened the flesh of Adam's side and he reached in there and he pulled the bride from Adam's side. Not a baby, a bride. Not a little toddler, a bride. He pulled the bride from Adam's side. And when the last Adam, that's Christ, when the last Adam fell into a deep sleep, it's called death. When he fell into a deep sleep on the cross, his side was opened also. The scriptures tell us that the Romans pierced his side, opening a portal for the bride of Christ to be drawn into his side, not from, but into his side. But the bride had to pass through the blood and the water on the way in, friends. You've got to come through the blood. You've got to come through the water. You see, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Christ so loved the church that he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That sounds like a perfect bride, doesn't it? Totally blameless, spotless, no wrinkles. That's a good bride. No blemish, good bride. No need for makeup. Okay, good bride. <laughs> Let me ask you a couple of questions in closing. How did you become holy? How did you become spotless? How did you become without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish? How did you become blameless? How did you become perfect? Did practice make you perfect? No, friends. Only perfect can make perfect. And our perfection is given to us through the perfect gift of righteousness. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. We don't have to spend hours or days in search of the perfect gift. The perfect gift came 2,000 years ago. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah. He says, for unto us, that's you, that's me, that's us, that's we. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is Jesus, the one who was wrapped and laid in the cradle unwrapped and nailed to a cross, wrapped and laid in a tomb, unwrapped and resurrected from the dead. Let me ask a question. Why did the Father of heavenly lights do this for us? It's because he wanted to wrap us in his love and his righteousness and unwrap us from our kindergarten coat of performance and condemnation. Friends, don't believe the lie that whispers into your heart that your outer coat is what makes you holy and acceptable to God. You are acceptable to the Father of lights because you received by grace through faith the good and perfect gift that came down from the heavenlies, namely Christ.
Jesus gave his life to establish a connection, our connection with the Father. It's a connection that cannot be severed. It cannot perish, cannot spoil, cannot fade. Through Christ, we receive an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, our salvation is not a counterfeit salvation. We were not purchased with gold and frankincense and myrrh. We were bought with the precious blood that flowed from the nail-scarred hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the perfect gift of God. As he hung lifeless on the cross, his side was open so that the bride of Christ could come into to him, but she would have to pass through the blood. She would have to pass through the water. Friends, the cradle was joyful. The cross was dreadful. The grave was unsuccessful. And the resurrection was meaningful. Meaningful in the sense that the cradle without the cross couldn't save us. And the cross without the resurrection would have been insufficient to make us perfect. The Father's perfect gift had to be wrapped and then unwrapped. And then wrapped again and then unwrapped again. Wrapped and laid in a cradle. Unwrapped and nailed to a cross. Wrapped and laid in a tomb. Unwrapped and resurrected from the dead. All that was left behind were the linen strips. Friends, you and I can walk the aisles, pillage the shelves, and ravage the racks in search of the perfect gift. You can wear your kindergarten coat of performance, hoping that it makes you feel pretty on the outside. And you can hold on to your counterfeit gospel that makes you work for your approval. That's what it does. But James wrote that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, the gift that is full of love, the gift that is full of the word, the gift that is full of grace and truth, the gift that is full of holiness and redemption and righteousness. You see, it's only out of his fullness that we have all received grace in place of grace already given. I don't know about you, but I can speak for me when I say that Jesus is the perfect gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for this perfect and priceless gift, a gift that we receive by grace through faith. In fact, it's not even an it, it's a him. It's Jesus himself. And we thank you, Father, that Jesus, with his own words, declared it is finished. What was he saying when he said that? He was saying, I've made everything perfect. You can take off your kindergarten code of performance. You can take off all the things that you think you have to do to make yourself feel pretty on both the outside and the inside. But the truth of the matter is, all your practice, all the stuff that you'll go through will never make you perfect. It's only perfect that makes perfect. And it's in Christ that we find our perfection. In Jesus' name, amen.